0: talking to me you talking to me raging bull Pacino
1: Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. The Contrarians is brought to you by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avnio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter at JamesAlexMattis and at Avnio. That's O V N I O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple it's the best film in the franchise Uh, excuse me sir, can I help you? you talking to me? hello and welcome back to the Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong it is a drizzly Tuesday afternoon as we're recording and I'm joined as always by my friend Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Despite the horrible movie we've watched, I'm in a great mood. Big moment
0: here in our podcast life. We usually try not to be self indulgent with the time we have at the show, but this time I think we're allowed to be a little self indulgent. Something really cool happened. Uh, there's this film podcast called Film Spotting that actually mentioned us in their latest episode, and that was something we were not expecting, and it was really cool. It also. After the initial elation, uh, like I told you, Alex, it gave me a serious case of (laughs) self-consciousness as I proceeded to listen to back episodes just to reassess how we were doing. And I got really, really self-conscious and nervous about (laughs) what we're doing. (laughs) Well, because it's different when you're like, oh, well, nobody really is listening except for friends, so who cares? But suddenly there are people that we don't know and that are used to listening to a show that's not quite like ours. I mean, Mm -hmm. film spotting, they're very... They're really cool, but they're also, the tone of that show is completely different from ours. So I could completely see somebody clicking on the link or following their plug and then being horrified by what (laughs) we're saying. (laughs) So hopefully, and here's the other thing, I looked at the website and it's like, oh wow, we got like a lot of new hits. Mm -hmm. And I could actually see where those hits were going. And they mentioned the Jaws episode, so a lot of them were going to Jaws, which I guess is not it's not a bad place to go because by now that's like episode 9 so mm-hmm. we have gotten our groove. But there were a lot of people that I guess decided to go to the beginning and they were listening to episode 1 and I was like, ah, oh. I mean, I like what we did with episode 1. They the went episode. to the deep tracks. <laughs> I know. And we're still like figuring out the format back mm-hmm. then. The whole Star Wars theme plays before.
1: <laughs> yeah, the editing had not reached its... Uh...
0: <laughs> we're experimenting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, I think like I, I mentioned to you, what finally calmed my nerves a little bit was that I've heard Adam, one of the hosts, plugged Mark Maron's podcast a couple of times, and we're nothing compared to Mark <laughs> Marin's as far as, like, getting filthy about stuff, and, yeah. uh, so I, hopefully we didn't scare off too many film spotting listeners, uh, if you're still listening,
1: <laughs> welcome. Yeah, and yeah, so at this point, by, you probably surmised, it's a 100% satirical-based podcast that has some realism to it in the later portions.
0: The thing that surprised me was that nobody clicked, as far as I could tell, on the... Uh, natural Born Killers episode.
1: <laughs> which was like our most fun to record. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. It's, uh, it shows that we don't know anything. It's a shitty movie, that's why. No. So for those of you who may be listening for the first time or second time, again, we appreciate it, and we'll just go ahead and get this all out of the way first. We're on iTunes, we're The Contrarians, not The Contrarians Podcast. So hop on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. We have an email address, which is... Wearethecontrarians
0: at com, And that's also our website, uh, wearethecontrarians.com
1: And um, what else? We're on SoundCloud. We're on SoundCloud, the Contrarians. And speaking of SoundCloud, I have some friends in the North Texas area that recently started their own podcast called The Big Van Vader Theory, and they gave us a a really proper shout out on their second episode. Uh, It's mostly about Dallas-based sports and professional wrestling, and you were speaking earlier about uh, how we don't get nearly as filthy as some people do. So if you have some pretty sensitive ears, I wouldn't recommend it. But, you know, if you want to hear some dudes, just... Talk about wrestling and have a good time. Definitely check out the Big Van Vader Theory, which is also in SoundCloud. Now! Hey, hey! Come on over! Have some fun with Crazy Taxi! Okay! Yeah, 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 yeah! As Dr. Dre would say, back to the lecture at hand. I believe you have a quote for us, Julio? Uh, I have three,
0: because they build up nicely. The first one is from Thomas DeLapa De from Boulder Weekly. It says... Get in and take a nightmare ride on perhaps Scorsese's best picture, the story of Vietnam vet Travis Bickles' fight to win the woman of his dreams in the seedy Big Apple. Makes it sound adventurous and fun. Or <laughs> More on point, Christopher Knoll from FilmCritic.com says, Probably did for cab drivers what Psycho did for showers. <laughs> but he still gave it a thumbs up. And finally, Mary Johansson from Flick Philosopher. Writes, the thing I'm never sure about is whether Travis is actually psychotic, and Paul Schrader's script, Scorsese's direction, and the nearest performance don't give us any easy answers. Well, Marianne, I'm going to tell you why. That's because the script, the direction, and the performance are terrible. That's why. That's why you're not sure what's going on in Travis's head.
1: Was uh, flick philosopher was philosopher spelled with an F? Yes. How'd oh, you know? I just assumed that the, the cheap alliteration. So <laughs> cheap alliteration for a cheap review for a cheap movie. So.
0: Yeah, they they got bamboozled by Scorsese. Today
1: we're covering Scorsese's alleged masterpiece, Taxi Driver, starring Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle, an honorably discharged Marine who now drives a taxi. Where to start?
0: <laughs> there's there's so many offensive, disrespectful things in this movie. I guess we'll just tackle them one at a time as 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 we recap the movie.
1: So we begin, basically, the beginning of our tale is him applying for the job of being a taxi driver. But it's clear right away that Travis Bickle, you know, I never even thought of this until just now, there could be some PTSD here, too, from his time in the war.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, you're right, because when I first, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, so when we first started and he mentioned that he's a vet i was like oh yeah because that explains it justifies how he's so handy Mm -hmm. later on with like the violence but yeah it also explains his his mental issues and that's that brings up issue number one with this movie travis bickle is not right in the head and the movie laughs at him most of the time, and it, it's it's uncomfortable, and it really is unkind. There's so many scenes where the movie is just Travis's mental illness is, is the punchline, and I did not appreciate
1: that at all. He's a pill-popping, alcoholic, nightlife-living insomniac right off the bat. Uh, it looks like he hasn't slept in days, and it's explained that it seems like every other scene, too, he's got a Coca-Cola in hand that he's just downing, which... Obviously, it's this caffeine addiction, but also a uh, pretty cheap product placement. It is, and at the same time, it shows the other problem, uh, the other big problem with the movie.
0: The way it depicts Travis's life, even with the mental problems he has, is it's kind of like a cool life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Chris is doing this hypocritical thing where he's, he's trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Uh, you know, he's depicting a man that has problems, and he wants to paint this movie as being against violence and against, you know, everything... It, bad that he depicts but at the same time for somebody watching subconsciously you get this feeling that denier is living a pretty sweet life mm. and and i think from the beginning he's drinking coke because cool kids drink coke
1: he's just in the big city you know he's meeting all kinds of interesting people he's
0: driving this cool cab and he's just having adventures every night he has the cool voiceover you know where he tells you like you know how cool how much money he makes and and the cool music and it's like he's a noir hero here from the beginning that's like the second scene i think
1: his narration also is just going on and on about how much he hates the world, wants to rid it of the, the scum that inhabits it. He keeps a diary, basically explaining his mental state, and that comes back through and through, just his gradual, or I guess rapid, descent into madness throughout the course of this film. That was
0: my big issue with the movie when it comes to his occupation, is that, I mean, no offense to taxi drivers anywhere, but... If you're a taxi driver, I mean, I'm assuming that wasn't the dream and that is not the dream. You know what I mean? Like, you're there and it's like a a transitioning state. You're there but only until you can move up. It's not like anybody sets out to be a a taxi driver. Mm -hmm. But this movie sells you taxi driving as, as an awesome... You know, the taxi driver is the hero.
1: When in reality, driving a taxi is just—you know—it's the launching pad to like a Greyhound bus or a mega bus or something. Exactly. Like that. You
0: know, you have to move up. But no, here, why would you want to do anything else? As the movie goes on, it tells you, it shows you that being a taxi driver just pays off mm. constantly for Travis. He has so much money that you know he spends it in whatever. <laughs> he keeps saying during the movie, "What else am I gonna do with my money?" He, <laughs> he, he's set up for life being a, a taxi driver.
1: Turns out the only positive in his life, the only ire of his desire, is Betsy, a woman that he drives by every day, seemingly, who is a campaign volunteer for Senator Charles Palantine. It's just a campaign center. It looks to be uh, right downtown New York City. So we're introduced to Betsy, played by Sybil Shepard, as well as a fellow campaign volunteer, Tom, played by Albert Brooks, who is rocking an outrageous perm.
0: That hair and the fact that it was Albert Brooks... And the fact that it was renowned comedy actor Robert De Niro, I thought that we were watching comedy at first. It took me a moment to remember that before he hit his stride as a comedian, De Niro tried a bunch of, like, failed dramatic roles. Like this one and, you know, Casino. All that stuff that he did before he finally realized that he his talent was not comedy.
1: Travis continues to drive by every day as his sleep-deprived descent just grows further and further. He joins his fellow cabbies for a late-night coffee when it's apparent that he just can't focus on anything and that boy just needs some sleep, man. Yeah, but, but you know,
0: again, the movie shows you, oh, that's cool. You know, you're a taxi driver, so middle of the night, you go and you meet with your friends and you trace stories.
1: You get to have girl. coffee with Frank Marone. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Frank Marone talking about how he got late and got, like, the best sex of his life in the back of his cab. And then he got paid a lot of money on top of that. It's like the, the midnight cheers. You know, everybody knows your name and everybody's really cool. They're talking about guns, they're talking about weird stuff that they find in their cabs. Who wouldn't want to be part of that community? Again, they're selling it so hard, the fact that being a taxi driver is so cool. I can only imagine the crushing disappointment once all those college kids watching this movie, they forgot about their degrees and they applied to be a taxi driver, and then they found out that, no, it's not like the movies. Like actually the
1: 76 to 81 spike in just taxi applications and yes. just realizing crushing defeat.
0: You want to know why you only see immigrants driving cabs these days? Because Americans had a big big disappointment in those <laughs> three years no more <laughs> will not be fooled again by taxi driver
1: so what after appears to be a good night's sleep travis finally gets some of his shit together he gets all dolled up and rocks a pretty sweet shriner blazer as he walks into the palatine campaign center initially goes in there asking to volunteer but it's clear he's just there to ask betsy out on a date could have gone in a bit more subtle route, but it works it So does. really
0: he didn't need to <laughs> Once again, the movie misleading all these young minds that, that it was aimed at into thinking that y- you can actually do that. Can you imagine? Like, anybody. It, you know, it's not like De Niro is looking... I mean, yeah, he has, like, the cool suit and everything. But the things he says and the way he says them are really creepy. He, mm-hmm. He's on, like, rocky level of creepiness. And yet... <laughs> Civil Shepherd just goes for it, she smiles, she finds him charming somehow, and so it pays off to be a creep, to just walk in, poor Albert Brooks, he's playing the long game and he gets
1: swiped right away. The Ross Geller character of this film, he's just waiting there the whole time, and it's just not to be, this creep just comes in and says, I watch you every day, and she's like, alright, I'll go out with you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, the hair didn't help Albert Brooks, but... He he probably needed to do something about that before he could make a move.
1: It's true. So he asks Betsy out for coffee and pie, and they go out on her lunch break, and it's just more very strange talk from Travis that's kind of hard to dissect.
0: That's that's a perfect example of what I was telling you, where the movie is just making fun of his mental state. It's clear. I mean, that scene has so many uncomfortable comedy moments. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that she says that he rep- responds to with completely random things. And you can't help but feel like the movie is, is making fun of him. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no other way of describing it. It's, it's really sad to see it. And then it adds to this other issue of the way the movie represents women. Because even if Sybil Shepard was fooled into thinking that he is like maybe a, a, an impulsive guy that's a little too direct, but he'll be okay once we go on a date, mm-hmm. there's no way after that coughing pie that she doesn't know that he has some mental issues. And she just plays him. She, she just plays along. Yeah. That is cruel. And that is one of the two female characters you have in the movie. And the other mo- the other female character is a
1: prostitute. Whose nickname is Easy. Yes, so... And is 12.
0: Come on. Marty Stewart says it. It's... By then, that was not cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that way to the big women, we left it behind way before that movie came out.
1: This was before the era of Pretty Woman.
0: Right. You know, in the original Travis Pretty Woman, Richard Gere drove a cab.
1: During the coffee and pie, Betsy reveals to Travis that he really reminds her of Chris Christopherson, just in that he is a walking contradiction, and Travis has no clue who Chris Christopherson is. Let's, let's
0: be honest, most people probably didn't.
1: <laughs> he was in Blade Trinity. Yes, which came <laughs> so much later. <laughs> So naturally, he goes to the local record store and wants to check out what it's about. So he buys the Chris Christopherson record for her as a gift.
0: I wonder how much Chris Christopherson paid for the promotion.
1: I saw him at South by Southwest several years ago, and he was still putting in the work, so God bless him.
0: <laughs> so wait, was he at South by promoting a movie, or was he promoting He was his, performing. He was performing. He did a
1: free show at South by a few years ago. Well, yeah, because he was going to pay to see Exactly. He was old and just... Eh. <laughs> Well, they
0: sell him like he's the shit in yeah. the movie. I mean, he—they he, sell
1: him like he's Rex Manning. Yes, which yeah. we all know is not possible.
0: It's sad that we didn't get a music video of whatever song <laughs> they wanted to play.
1: So the next scene sees Travis. Uh, it, Senator Palantine actually gets into his cab, and it takes Travis a second to recognize him and realize exactly who it is. But when he does, you know, he kind of launches into a, "Hey, you know, I, I know you're going to be president." and then Palantine and his advisors are kind of trepidatious of this weird-looking dude, and this comes to play into what you were saying. He asks him what he would change about the country, and he goes into this tirade about how he would just flush New York City down the fucking toilet, as he says.
0: Horrible representation of the city. (laughs) He's not wrong, yeah, because he's talking about the movie, the city that the movie is depicting. Go to New York right now. That's not the case. It's <laughs> offensive. If I was a New Yorker, I would be up in arms about what this movie says. New York is and shows New York to be filth everywhere. He's not wrong, and there's, there's just crime, and it's seedy. It's not the big apple. It's like the rotten apple. It hurt me. As somebody who's never been to New York but loves New York, uh, it, it just it hurt me deeply. <laughs>
1: But it goes back into what you are saying earlier. He's launching into this tirade, and these are the words of a man who clearly needs help, but it's meant for just, like, awkward comedy in the film. Yeah,
0: I mean, you, you, every time they cut to the, the, the shot of the advisor, he looks so uncomfortable. <laughs> he really should be more... You, these are politicians. These are people that are supposed to help people. He should have taken Travis in and sent him somewhere where he could find some help.
1: Instead, they just give him a hefty tip, and they're on their way. It's moments later, we're introduced to our second female character of the movie, Iris Easy Stinsma, played by Jodie Foster, who is a 12-year-old prostitute.
0: It's funny because she looks, it's kind of creepy, what was it, 14, when she shot the movie? 14-year-old Jodie Foster looks just like a tiny version of current-day Jodie Foster. <laughs> it was really distracting, especially once she finally got some lines. Mm-hmm. She, she sounds the same.
1: But she's trying to get out of wherever they are, she's just trying to get away, she's asking Travis to you know, just go... When uh, he kind of takes his time on it and a mysterious fellow, presumably her pimp, comes up, just grabs her by the wrist and says some pretty nasty things to her, says she's not going anywhere, and then hands Travis a big crumpled up 20 and said, you didn't see nothing.
0: We don't see his face, because they're saving the face, a big reveal of the face for later. (laughs) It's not the senator,
1: by the way. So it's time for the big second date with Betsy and Travis, and Travis takes her to a Swedish sex education film.
0: Well, <laughs> can't win them all. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, it's cool that he's so open about sexuality. But again, the movie's setting it up as this punchline. Mm-hmm. It makes Betsy look terrible because there's what's going through her head when she goes, she goes into the movie. Even though the marquee clearly states what they're going to watch. Mm-hmm. But she goes into the movie almost like she's looking for an excuse to walk out on Travis. <laughs> she sits through like a solid minute of sex movie and then she walks out and it just and then that's it she's done with Travis from then on and we're supposed to laugh at how clueless Travis is because ha ah, ha ha you know this is what he does when he's alone and he couldn't fathom that a woman would be offended by it
1: also another pretty poor representation of the people in New York such seedy just filth and like smut and that theater's pretty full it looks like Paul Blart on Friday night <laughs> yes
0: yeah it's packed maybe uh, they don't give us like a wide enough shot to really appreciate the demographic, but I'm going to go out on a limb because the, the few people that we see in the shot, they're African-American, and this movie has a thing against African-Americans. It does. We, we'll point it out as we go, but really, it, it's just one more instance of the movie being offensive for the sake of being offensive.
1: So Travis doesn't really know how to make, make things right, so he just sends a bunch of flowers to Betsy, which all get returned to him, and she's just not going to accept them. Just further adding to his just personal internal anguish at the time he then has no other idea of how to react so he goes to the campaign office and just berates her in front of everyone there
0: makes a scene and again what do they do instead of getting him help Nothing. they throw him out they uh, well they don't
1: throw him out it, tom albert brooks with his perm throws him out
0: finally impressing betsy i guess somehow but <laughs> denier could have kicked his ass there mm-hmm. and and the fact that he didn't shows you that he was not beyond salvation
1: I think the next scene may have been what pushed him over the edge, though. Because it's Martin Scorsese featured in our M. Night Shyamalan scene of the film, and where he has to become the center of attention, because, you know, he's making this film. Yeah, he gives himself
0: this juicy monologue that I think is to blame for every time Quentin Tarantino has acted in his movies afterwards. <laughs> it's so poorly acted, so over the top, so repetitive, and yet... Yeah, you know, it's the director, so they just let it. You can see, you can almost feel the pain in De Niro's face every time they cut to him. It's like, why didn't they get a better actor, <laughs> an actual actor?
1: So Martin Scorsese has Travis park this cab parallel to an apartment building, and he informs him that his wife is in there cheating on him. With, again, an African-American and like, acts like that's the worst possible thing that could happen in the world.
0: Yes. And, of course, this wife that we only see as a silhouette. Basically, the third most important female character in the movie. So you have the uptight tease, the civil shepherd, the prostitute, the teenage prostitute that's Iris slash Easy. And now you have this married woman that's cheating on her husband. Not entirely blame her because he's obviously a psycho, but yes. still, give us one, one single female role model, so to speak.
1: So Scorsese goes into a monologue about how he's going to take his 44 Magnum and then do some things that are so reprehensible, I don't even think we need to repeat them here. And it's so contrived to...
0: It's, it's like he was so into, oh, I need to play this scene, he completely forgot about anything else like plausibility. Why on earth is that woman standing by the window for so long? (laughs) How does he know that's his wife? He talks to the nurse, like, that's my wife. Like, he, like, for sure knows. That could be any woman. But I I guess he he just didn't care at that point. All he wanted was a, a chance to deliver that monologue.
1: And much like how M. Night Shyamalan in years later in Signs would be the one to discover how to defeat the aliens, Scorsese here, turn, he figures out how to turn our main character into the dark. So Travis after this is obviously pretty rattled, and he goes for late night coffee with his fellow cabbies, and he confines in Wizard, who is the aforementioned Frank Barone, who was apparently always bald.
0: It looks like it. Or, or maybe he could sense that he was going bald and he's wearing a bald cap in this one. Because like might as well get it get it over with if I want to have a career.
1: You just got to go ahead and get those headshots for the future. Made, so.
0: It's like when Bruce Willis starts shaving his head. Mm-hmm. He knew that it was coming. So I might as well make it look like it's my decision.
1: Wizard seems pretty confused by all the things that Travis is saying. He's saying he's just having some pretty bad thoughts and he just is really depressed. And Wizard doesn't really know how to give him any advice because he gives him just a rambling bit of nonsense.
0: But hidden in this rambling is the heart of the movie where he's just basically telling him, maybe being a cabbie, that's, that's your place in life. That's, that's really what the universe wants you to do. There are people that are doctors and there are people that are lawyers. And then there's me. I'm a taxi driver. And, you know, I don't even own my own cab. Mm. And that's fine, because that's I guess that's what I want. That really, in a nutshell, is the message of the movie when it comes to taxi drivers.
1: He has the line that says, a man takes a job and he becomes it.
0: Yeah, so I guess if you took the job of driving a cab, that's because that's, that's where you're going to become, and, and that's it.
1: We get our second appearance of Iris next, as she's almost run over by Travis just going down an inner city street. To this point where the audience is cued in that Travis's new obsession and ire is Iris. That he's moved on from Betsy and now his obsession lies with Easy, the teenage prostitute.
0: Now, not in a sexual way. I mean, it becomes clearer later. But really, the movie never puts you against Travis. He's always our hero. Even with all his issues, you're never going to find yourself cheering against him. Despite anything Scorsese might say after the fact. This is a movie that very clearly portrays this guy as the hero. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's looking out
1: for Iris. And you will see that later. As it looks like Travis is beyond salvation, he comes across a gentleman named Easy Andy who describes himself as a traveling salesman who just opens up several briefcases and ends up selling Travis just a huge cachet of weaponry. Pretty terrifying that it was that easy to just buy firearms at the time. Again. Yeah,
0: unnecessarily long and detailed. This is... Just basically gun porn. (laughs) That's Scorsese lingering on those shots of the guns and providing unnecessary explanations of what they're going to do once they're shot. All you really needed to see was Travis going in with the guy in the room and then coming out with, with a gun or two. But no, we get like a solid five minutes. And that's what at the time I'm sure people shrugged it off. But that leads to things like Tarantino having like ten minutes of, of Samuel Jackson talking about guns and the video with guns at the beginning of Jackie Brown. These things have consequences.
1: Travis is becoming obsessed with being a martyr at this point. He feels like he is the one that's going to lead the good fight. He just begins this intense physical training in his apartment, just push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, uh, burning his hand on his stove, which... Again, how many college kids burn their hands
0: thinking that that's cool?
1: If you're paying attention in the background, all the posters and everything in his apartment, it's becoming clear that Senator Palantine is the intended target for this... Uh, mission that he feels he needs to carry out. He also begins developing some machinery, some go-go gadgets, if you will, for his weapons...
0: For a movie that seems to be so realistic about everything, there's no way that that would ever work. I don't care. They show him greasing the pieces. like He that takes was the explained... roller off his shelf, his yeah.
1: cabinet shelf, and then attaches his gun. It's like
0: the only attempt at, at, at realism in that scene is that the first time he tries it, it doesn't quite work right. <laughs> <laughs> so then the, he, he puts some, some grease, some oil on it, and now it works, and that's it.
1: And he also can't buy like a... Holster? Holster? for his knife. He just has to tape it to his boot.
0: Yeah, he, I think he's just in complete uh, do-it-yourself mode by then.
1: <laughs> we go to a center Palantine rally where Travis's mental state is at an alarming level as he just begins questioning the uh, secret servicemen about how he gets a job, what guns he uses, and this dude's on to him. He knows that something's wrong with this the guy. The complete
0: opposite of laying low. <laughs> that poor guy. Once again, the movie making fun of somebody with mental problems. That is... That scene is played by comedy, but nobody told De Niro. And so the movie is laughing at him again.
1: It's after this that we get the legendary you-talking-to-me scene of De Niro talking to himself in a so mirror.
0: So disappointing. Such a ripoff of the scene in Back to the Future 3 when Marty is, is pulling his gun and and you know basically asking himself, Are you talking to me? And then Marty has a good sense to close with an awesome line, which is... Go ahead and make my day. <laughs> it's like De Niro doesn't even have that closing line. He just keeps repeating things over and over. And, and he doesn't even, uh, he's not a smooth puller.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if you noticed, but there was like a two step whenever he pulled his gun. That, that second step is the one that gets you shot.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't understand why everybody find, finds
1: that. Travis Bickle would not have survived in a Western.
0: Absolutely not. I'm surprised that he survives in a movie. <laughs>
1: So he's just basically psyching himself up here. We get another voiceover of his diary entry where he's just talking about how he's not going to stand for the scum and the pimps and the prostitutes of the world and that he, uh, you know, something is about to happen. Leads us to our next scene where Travis just goes to the convenience store to pick up some milk and all the accoutrements. He hears that the store is being robbed. Again, by a young black man. Of course.
0: Yeah, Yeah. but by now, we're on to you, Scorsese. You have an issue. We get it. I think it's funny that after all that rehearsing of cool lines,
1: the best thing that he can come up with when he shoots this guy is, hey. He says, hey, and the gentleman turns around and gets popped right in the neck or head. One of the two. It kills him instantly. Does he? Get,
0: I thought that he was still kind of alive because then the, the shop owner starts oh, beating him
1: yeah. so. with a like a metal bar, just mercilessly beating him.
0: Yeah, so, let's celebrate vigilantes everywhere. No. They, he doesn't call the cops; he just beats the guy up.
1: Travis is clearly rattled by having killed him, and he's the first thing he thinks is, "I don't have a permit for this." But the convenience store owner just takes the gun and says, "Get out of here! I'll take care of it."
0: Let's encourage this kind of behavior.
1: It's after this that Travis can finally work up the courage, I guess. I don't know if it's courage or gusto or what have you. He finally goes to see Iris. He wants to, I guess, tackle this situation head on. She informs him that he needs to meet up with her pimp, who is Matthew, or she calls him Sport. Matthew Sport Higgins is, of course, played by the wolf, Harvey Keitel, and this is our first appearance of him in the film. Finally, a reveal that was worth the wait for all its flaws,
0: and one of the flaws is how wasted... Harvey Keitel is in this movie, but you have to give it to them. That reveal was worth it just because of his hair.
1: He's got the hair, he's got that fedora on with his wife beater tucked into his slacks.
0: Beautiful performance. I just don't understand why he's not in the movie
1: more. So he sets up an appointment with Iris, or as she's known, Easy. Harvey Keitel launches into a diatribe about all the filthy things that he can do with her for $20. And Travis is just getting more and more disgusted with this as he finally gets her alone and she keeps trying to initiate sexual acts, but he just wants to help her.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's the trickery of Martin Scorsese, where even though Travis is doing reprehensible things and you can't blame him entirely because he has mental issues, Scorsese tricks you into being on his side anyway and thinking that he's right just because he surrounds them with, with despicable people. Civil Shepard being like a heartless tease and Harvey Keitel being this disgusting pimp. And now even Iris being this clueless teenager. But well, here's the thing, you could put anybody next to her, or anybody next to all those other people and they will come out looking good, like the voice yeah. of reason. So of course, it almost looks like, oh, well, Travis Bickle is in the right. He No matter what he does now, it's what's necessary for things to end up properly.
1: It's the only point in the film that we find ourselves rooting for our main character. The rest of the time, we're just kind of like, man, this guy... Is- He's he's sympathetic but also scary. But here is like the one moment of clarity where we're like, okay, she's not really having any of it though. She I guess her the claws of Harvey Keitel are in her too deep and they run out of time so he requests to have lunch with her and just meets up with her later and she's obviously has no idea what she's talking about. It, she's brainwashed
0: by then, not a very flattering portrayal of, uh, of women. Again, you could blame it on, on the Kaitel character, but at the end she's hardly what you would call a strong female character.
1: As they're having lunch Travis is expressing just his desire to help her and help her get back home and back into school and she keeps just cutting him off and talking about how weird he is and there's also like these weird flirty moments it's just an incredibly uncomfortable scene of a underage girl and a full grown robert de niro I, I just think that
0: they they thought it would be a cool idea to just have a teenager prostitute and then they realized they had they stepped into a minefield and it was too late to recast it was it was too late to find any way to rework the script so, they're just like, well, guys, we need to do something. We, we have the two actors, so. so... What you see is, like, this tap dancing around the issue of any sort of sexual tension between Travis and Iris, and they just... You can tell they just don't know how to paint her mm-hmm. as a character. It's really uh, frustrating to see that she doesn't know what she wants. when Really, we're, we're in the second half of the movie. We're, we're nearing the climax. We need some decisive action. And she's pretty wishy-washy about everything, even from the moment of... She keeps changing her sunglasses. She can't even decide what kind of sunglasses she wants. I'm surprised that she decided what she wanted for breakfast at that restaurant with De Niro. So, of course, she doesn't know what she wants out of life.
1: We go from kind of awkward to full-blown awkward, as Harvey Keitel is explaining to Iris that she can't leave him, that he needs her, and he just embraces her for way too long to an uncomfortable extent and then begins slow dancing with her and tells her how much he enjoys how close she is to him. He puts on... (laughs) This is hilarious. He puts on... taxi Driver soundtrack on his record player.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did he notice that? I did. (laughs) (laughs) The balls of Scorsese to just assume that. He got the
1: screener copy of the soundtrack. The time is at hand for Travis as he's preparing himself to do whatever it is he feels he needs to do. We get a shot of him attending a Palantine rally.
0: How many rallies did Palantine Organized there. I mean, I understand it's New York, but still, mm-hmm. there, there was the same side, the same side of the city. I don't know, it, and, and I guess what's Betsy and Tom. They're in all of them, but it just feels like they they were too lazy to really change the setting. They just went in and I are like, okay, today we're shooting all three of the Palantine scenes. <laughs> I don't care that it's supposed to be three different days, three different occasions. Just kind of like change somebody's jacket. Because every he goes there three times and all three times everything looks the same. Except that the last time he's, he's ready for business. He's come up with this awesome disguise not to be recognized by the secret service.
1: So he's dressed exactly the same with his jeans and his green overcoat, but it pans up and he's got he's sporting a jaunty mohawk that he clearly did himself.
0: This poor guy, he doesn't realize that that's actually going to draw more attention to him. <laughs> there was a good chance that if he put on like a, a a New York meds cap, he would have almost looked he would have join the crowd and just being indistinguishable from everybody else. But if you put on a mohawk, you you, you sport mohawk, that's where everybody's
1: going to go. And also, if you notice, when they do a wide shot of the crowd, no one wants to stand near him because he's so intimidating looking. Right. He's like the nucleus of the thing, and there's just a bunch of people surrounding him. And
0: he's clapping, and he has a creepy smile <laughs>
1: next to, you know, his face. It's just crazy. He could not look more suspicious. Yes. Or conspicuous. Palantine makes his big rah-rah speech, and he goes to leave to thunderous applause when... Travis comes up and he reaches into his jacket and we're led to believe he was going to attempt assassination on him. I guess so.
0: Maybe he was going after Tom. We really don't know. It's, the movie never makes it, makes it clear why Palatine would be his, his target. Mm-hmm. You know, if anything, he would have thought that Palatine could clean up the city if he won. If mean, he had beef with anybody, it would have been the guy with the weird afro that kicked him out of the office. Or maybe he was going to shoot Betsy, just because he was angry at her. I don't know why he would go after Palantin, and we never really find out. So, again, Scorsese is just
1: taking shortcuts. Years later, this would be perfected in the all-time classic film Drive, in which our main character, very similar to Travis, but never really hurt an innocent person, and his motives were clear. Well, the only good thing about Drive is that it allowed us to see
0: Only God Forgives. That's the only thing I'm going to say about Drive.
1: Moving on. Travis goes back to his apartment and is clearly rattled by what had happened. After whatever he was trying to do, a potential assassination was thwarted, he was chased away but was able to get away and back to his apartment. He just begins taking a bunch of pills, preparing himself for whatever is next. He goes downtown late at night and walks up to sport and, you know, just is giving him the business right away.
0: Harvey can tell, we hardly knew you in this movie.
1: (laughs) A few words are exchanged. Kaitel flicks his cigarette onto Travis and Travis pulls out a gun and says, Suck on this and shoots him in the stomach. That's the best he could come up with. <laughs> Suck on this.
0: <laughs> Anything he said while he was practicing in front of a mirror was better than that. Yeah.
1: You talking to me, like why couldn't he have busted it out in the proper scenario? Yeah,
0: it's such a all all set up, no payoff weak Scorsese.
1: He goes into the hotel where the prostitution ring goes down and the bookie comes out like, what the hell are you doing here? So he shoots the hotel bookie in the hand and blows his hand off.
0: And then we're treated to a, what, what is it, ten minutes of just... <laughs> It's just basically Martin Scorsese jerking off to violence, guns, and blood.
1: It's like slow
0: motion, crazy sounds, the screams. Just
1: blood jettisoning everywhere.
0: Everywhere. De Niro gets shot in the neck. He gets shot in the shoulder. Uh, that that guy's hand gets blown up. Guns keep falling on the floor. And new guns keep appearing. <laughs> Poor Iris is screaming her head off.
1: It's like the end of Max Payne with Mark Wahlberg, but nowhere near as cool.
0: Well, no, because for one, the nearest no Mark Wahlberg. I mean, the, the sh- <laughs> and, uh, and Jodie Foster is no Mila Kunis.
1: Touche. So he shoots the bookie in the hand, and then from out of nowhere, Travis gets shot in the neck, and then blood begins gushing. It turns out that he didn't finish the job with old Harvey Keitel, the wolf. So he shoots him... Many, many times. He just takes him down when he's clearly dead, just keeps going. It's a bit of overkill, no pun intended, on Scorsese's part.
0: Unnecessary. Everybody in this movie gets shot way too much. It's almost like he felt that he needed to compensate for the lack of shooting in the first hour and 45 minutes of the movie. He just goes all out. He has four guns on him, and that's not even counting the guns he picks up from the bad guys. By the end of the sequence, there are a lot of bullets.
1: <laughs> and there were only three people that he had to kill. He kills Sport. He then just begins getting into it with the bookie when the gentleman who is getting his rocks off with Iris comes out and shoots, as you said, Travis in the shoulder. Travis then turns around and shoots him in the face at least six times. Just ridiculous amount of violence here. Shoots the bookie in the head while Iris screams. He then goes and turns the gun on himself and tries to shoot himself in the head with multiple weapons, but they're all out of bullets, as you said, as well. The cops show up as... Travis looks at them and Mimes shooting himself in the head three times.
0: I think it's funny that when he first shoots sport, the first time he shoots him when he's outside on the streets, nothing happens. Like he shoots him and and there's like crickets all around.
1: <laughs> it's just like big. It's just a normal Saturday night in New York City. Yep,
0: that's the New York the Scorsese is selling you.
1: So now Travis is the hero. He's the big local hero because he broke up this prostitution ring and he returned Iris back to her parents in Philadelphia. He gets a
0: letter from the parents. And I don't know who's reading that letter, but it's almost like they ran out of money and they just grabbed some dude from the, from the street. Can you please read this? We need a voiceover. Because that is, that is, like, I don't know, you know, first grade level reading. He does the pause. He doesn't know punctuation. It's just terrible. That, no wonder that Iris ran away from home for Dad was illiterate and probably beat her as much as uh, Harvey tell didn't.
1: So despite the fact that he murdered brutally... Three people in complete cold blood. He is lauded as a hero because their lives apparently don't matter.
0: Yeah, I would like to have seen the, the police investigation of that crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> Was it necessary <laughs> to shoot these people this many times? That's crazy. He, not only does he get away scot free, he's celebrated as a hero, but then in the craziest twist of all, we get a final scene where he's...
1: Amongst his fellow cabbies, he's talking to them at the end, and his new nickname is Killer. Yes! Because they all have nicknames in the circle. Oh,
0: yeah. Hey, Killer. Punch in the shoulder.
1: You shot a guy six times in the face. Hey.
0: You're, you're the man. Want some pie?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so then, the coupe de grasse, of course, is he gets in his cab, and who is his final passenger of the film?
0: Who else but the woman of his dreams has finally seen the light? All it took was for him to murder three people. <laughs> but now he has Betsy. But of course, now he's too good for her. Yeah. So he takes her wherever it is that she's going, makes small talk, he's smooth, he's a cool killer. He's not one of those jittery killers that you might see driving other cabs. No, this guy is cool as a cucumber, lets her out. And then tells her the right is on him <laughs>
1: <laughs> throws her a bone,
0: throws her a bone, drives away, cue the music, the nearest the hero, despite everything that 's happened he He got the upper hand he he also he seems to have gotten more sleep, he seems like he 's completely recovered.
1: He still, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was just like that cured him, but he's still a guy that clearly needed some help. The only real happy ending is that Iris is okay now, but still, she was subjected to just horrible things before that.
0: And like I said, there's a reason why she ran away from home. you're just assuming that her parents are completely cool and she ran for no reason. But no, maybe. You know, most of the time, they're unhappy for a reason. The dad mentions that, oh, yeah, we've taken measures to make sure she doesn't run away again. What does that mean? <laughs> That's code for we chained her in the basement. That, that, is, that needs further investigation. So that that is, yeah, that is a very disturbing ending. And again, here's what what really gets at me is that Marty Scorsese claims to be shocked by the the reaction that the movie got from the audience he seems shocked the fact that people were actually cheering at the end when travis was killing all all the bad guys okay how on earth are you not supposed to cheer when he he sets it up as that Mm -hmm. you know he sets it up as a big moment he seems shocked that people are are saying that maybe it's it's all in travis's head at the end well no the way the movie is constructed it makes it like, oh, well, he, he earns this happy ending because he's the hero. Yeah. That just seems like Scorsese either being unaware of what he created or just wanting to backpedal out of making a reprehensible movie.
1: And he would make many more stinkers. It would be almost 30 years until he made his masterpiece, which, was, of course, was Hugo.
0: I think that he needed to get all that darkness out of himself. Mm. So he could finally have, like, a kid's movie. He had a kid's movie in him, but he was trapped, surrounded by all this this, this violence and grisliness. And his
1: just non-ending vendetta towards New York City and its yeah. citizens.
0: Yeah, it, it finally, I don't know, he needed... To, and you'll notice he doesn't act in Hugo. He finally decided, he, it took him 30 years, but he realized he's not an actor. <laughs> he's barely a director. So how about we, we're aware of our limitations, guys?
1: Oh, man. We ready for real talk?
0: Yeah, I, I I wrote bullshit happy ending and that's my last note. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, let's do some real talk.
1: T shirts, t shirts, t shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling t shirts, all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart goes to Montreal, some dead guy, the Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling! SmartsLikeUs.com, 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 selling you wrestling t shirts. Also available, buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. Are they going to
0: remake this? They've been saying that for a while. Really? Yeah. With who? De Nier should play Wizard. Oh
1: my god, that would be (laughs) amazing.
0: He he has to. And, you know, as it is, every time we recast something, Josh Gatz should play uh, Travis.
1: No, he should be uh, Sport. (laughs) Dan Fogler will play Travis. (laughs) So, Richard Schickel
0: from Time Magazine said... Scorsese seems to need scripts with well-designed humor and performers with the spirit of Ellen Burstyn to compensate for what seems to be a fundamentally depressed view of life and the belief that sobriety is the equivalent of seriousness. That is, as far as I can tell, according to the mobile website, the only negative review uh, for Taxi Driver. I don't know if that's right, but I don't think this guy... I I mean, obviously, the movie was a little too dark for him.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Even with the happy ending, uh, the alleged... Happy ending.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting read.
0: I don't know what he's complaining about. Yeah. <laughs> really. He's complaining that the movie's too depressing,
1: or that Scorsese's take on the movie is too depressing. And nowhere in that movie does it paint sobriety as a bad thing.
0: No, it, it's uh, It's almost like he wanted... I'm cool with this story, but I needed it to be a little lighter. No. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> Mr. Schickle, or whatever your name is. Uh, no, I... I haven't seen this movie, I think I told you, I I haven't seen it in 10 years at least. And before that, you know, I saw it in film school and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep sometime during it. Mm -hmm. Not because the movie's bad, because I was tired, because I clearly remember not seeing the, the classic, Are You Talking To Me?, Scene when I watched it. So we were either watching uh, a bootleg movie that had that scene cut out, or more likely I dozed off because I was tired because <laughs> I was in school. And uh, that, and also, I remember the first time I watched it, I didn't get what the big deal was about the violence. Having read, our teacher made us read all these articles about the movie before we watched it. And then I watched it, and I was like, I don't get it. What's, you know, by then, of course, it's so many years that ha- had passed since the movie opened. The, of course, violence on that level was not such a big deal as far as people being shocked by it. Yeah, It is still a shock, the way the movie builds up to it. Uh, it's pretty violent. But, yeah. But I have to say, this is the first time. I mean, this might be the fourth or fifth time that I've seen the movie. And this is the first time that I've actually been not on Travis's side. <laughs> which speaks poorly of my character. <laughs> uh, but I, but that means I completely understand people that are cheering in that final shootout. It's because they're painted as despicable people. You don't really feel bad for, for Harvey Keitel getting shot. Yeah. He's a horrible person pimping out a 14-year-old. So,
1: I mean, yes, it's against the law. <laughs> but,
0: you know, fuck yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this was my second time watching Taxi Driver, and I watched it... Years and years ago in college, I had a sick day. I had, like, a fucking horrible fever, and I uh, just, it was like a Robert De Niro day. I watched Casino, I watched Taxi Driver, and then I watched Raging Bull. It was my first time seeing Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, and, like, I was descending more and more into fever dream throughout the day went on, so I couldn't remember exactly which ones were which, so (laughs) this one, it was like watching it for the first time again, but uh, obviously I remembered a lot of it. You fell asleep and you woke up with a mohawk, <laughs> yeah, for a real. gun, and a pool of blood around you. <laughs> but it, yeah, Taxi Driver was released on February 8th, 1976. Had a budget of $1.3 million, which I we were talking about. I was like, that's it? But that's like fucking 1975 money, so that's a lot. Shattered at the box office, making a it $28.2 million. It's directed, obviously, by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader, who also wrote Raging Bull and Last Temptation of Christ. It had four Oscar nominations, Best Picture... Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Score, it won none of them. Really? Yeah.
0: Ah, oh, for shame.
1: It's obviously a highly controversial film, not so much as Natural Born Killers. Biggest thing at the time was Jodie Foster playing, she would have been 13 or 14 at the time of filming, and everyone was like outraged at the stuff they had to do, but apparently her older sister was her body double for any of the sexually compromising scenes, but there's... which there's not much. The only well, one She I can kisses really think, Keitel. I well, think well there at the like... end, she's on her knees for that guy. That when fucking didn't Travis you know, comes okay, out, yeah. yeah. And also, it's got the distinction of being controversial for it inspired John Hinckley Jr. for his Ronald Reagan assassination attempt. But that's because he became obsessed with Jodie Foster.
0: Oh, that's why there's the joke of, like, Jodie Foster made me do it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's oh,
1: you, you weren't aware of that?
0: I I heard it on 7, and I I mean, it's pretty easy to figure out what they're talking about, but I didn't know the specifics. I didn't know it came from... Uh, Taxi driver.
1: Yeah, well, uh, John Hinckley Jr. attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan on the day of what they, like when would have been eighty one. The Oscars that day to like get her attention, and they postponed the Oscars till the following Tuesday. So like his whole goal was, well, if I kill the president, Jodie Foster will fall in love with me.
0: So then, did they foil that? Did he just go and try to rescue a random prostitute?
1: I think so. Yeah, <laughs> he he got his cut off, so he went and killed a pimp. Um, that was kind of hard to do because in terms of like our format of this. There are things that I do think are weird about the movie, like its kind of racist overtones. I think are kind of off-putting, and I'm not even for the time. I'm not really sure their relevancy.
0: I don't think, but no, I think that it's a movie that has a racist character, a racist protagonist surrounded by racist people. But I don't think the movie is necessarily racist. I mean, maybe you know the instance where of where the 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 robber, the guy that's that's robbing the drugstore, he happens to be black. But I don't know that you can build a case. Strong enough to call the movie actually racist.
1: I, I don't uh, think it's intentionally so. I think a lot of it too is more acceptable at the time, and now it, like we've been so sensitivity washed that it's like.
0: Neh. I mean, there is like, I think there's two black cab drivers in that circle when they, where they meet at the at the cafe. The this, coolest
1: dressed people in the entire film are these two black dudes in the coffee shop. That yeah, are just so, eyeing down Travis. Yeah,
0: so I think I, I don't think that's that's a bigger problem. If you wanted to really push for like defensive stuff. The female characters, maybe, but even then, I mean, I was kidding. I yeah. think Iris is is a pretty strong female character. She's
1: definitely a sympathetic character.
0: Yeah, and for a fourteen year old, she's actually pretty precautious. Yeah, uh, she she she's cool. She's fun to listen to talk. I mean, it,
1: yeah, it, it works. All joking aside, and all like minor quibbles about the story, which I still do have some like things with the ending. It's just kind of weird. I understand what it's trying to say, but at the same time, it's kind of oddly. It's not like it could be executed better, it's just like, it's just, I think that's the point, it's disconcerting. Because that's the problem, like, you can kill one person, it's the worst thing in the world, or you can kill another person and you get praised for it, like, I think that's what he's trying to say.
0: Yeah, the point, I I think that Travis has serious mental issues, and at no point during the movie anybody acknowledges that. Not before he murders a bunch of people, (laughs) and certainly not after he murders a bunch of people. (laughs) And that's cool, that's, that's fine, because... The movie is not telling you it's okay. The movie is telling you that society thinks that's okay. And I'm, I'm fine with that.
1: The acting is so good. Top to bottom, track 1 to 14, it is so fucking good. Including the bonus track, the live track <laughs>
0: that you get if you listen to the album 30 seconds after the credits. That's...
1: I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy you brought it up because that is the only part of the movie where I was like, what? When Harvey Keitel <laughs> puts the record on and it, it's the score for <laughs> Taxi Driver. Uh, but no, yeah, the acting's amazing. My favorite scene being the one we were talking about where Travis is confiding in Peter Boyle about like the problems he's having.
0: Yes, uh, going back to, to when they made us read those articles, uh, there was a quote or an interview with Peter Boyle where he was talking about how, if I remember correctly, he was talking about how he just went off script. He went to Scorsese or whoever and asked him, can I just wing this? Mm-hmm. And so I think that all those ramblings, is, they just came from him. And so anytime I watch the movie, I always think about that but this is the first time that I notice how fucked up De Niro looks when he's talking to him he really that's a cry for help (laughs) and it's really (laughs) sad that it falls in the ears of a dumbass that doesn't get it Uh, yeah that might be one of my favorite scenes as well that that was just so good everybody all the stuff uh, his interaction with Jodie Foster all those scenes are are just again I like that they made her so precautious because it would have been a lot easier to make her more innocent, mm-hmm. and they, but then their interaction would have been so interesting. Yeah, but she actually kind of teases him and calls him out on his bullshit. So, it, I, I think it's cool.
1: All the stuff he does with Sybil Shepherd is also great. Like the scene where he's asking her out and everything. Just De Niro's chemistry with everyone is on point. And then also, Martin Scorsese is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but did you get
0: the Quentin Tarantino vibe? Because I hadn't ever until this time that I watched it. Um, not in a bad way. I mean, I
1: think Scorsese's performance is great. What else has Scorsese been Which other movies of his has he had a role in?
0: Uh, I don't know if any movies of his that I can remember, but I know he's in a, an Akira Kurosawa movie of all things, uh, which I haven't seen his segment. It's like the one that's several short stories.
1: Tarantino's a bad actor.
0: Right. But but is it, don't you see, like, if Tarantino had made Taxi Driver, he would have given himself oh, that. Oh, absolutely. The, you know,
1: the monologue where he gets to say the cool thing. And, and he the, would have, for some reason, had an Australian accent, like yes. Django. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that would definitely... Um, yeah, or M. Shyamalan. But Shyamalan. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, Shyamalan, he gives himself different a, a different kind of... He gives
1: himself... He was on a stretch there. Of, like, he was the hero in everything he made. Like, he was yeah. the important person he doesn't give himself
0: like the, the really cool dialogue or anything He just he's just a pivotal part of the plot but not nothing showy
1: but yeah so it's that the scene with Scorsese separated it's almost like the dividing between the first and second half of the film right? and it's like what pushes Travis over the edge to being psycho but yeah Scorsese's so convincing in the things he says and like yeah I wasn't even kidding in the first half some of the stuff he says I'm not even comfortable with repeating like it's just like terrifying
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's pretty pretty fucked up uh that might be my only issue with the movie, the, <laughs> which I don't really care, but the fact that that the wife happens to be standing, like, perfectly silhouetted against <laughs> the window. It's like, really? But you could take the entire movie as a fever dream, and then everything makes sense, including yeah. the ending. But going back to the ending, I, I think I told you, I've seen people that interpret it as being all in Travis's head. Like he gets shot, and then what you see afterwards is just what he sees when he's in a coma or what he sees as he's dying. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, but like I told you when we are watching it, I don't see any evidence in the way that things are shot that would really make you think that it's all in his head, except for the fact that everything is turns out so well for him. <laughs> <laughs> but... For the point that I think Scorsese is trying to make, I think it works. Yeah. So, uh, I I don't have a problem with it.
1: Intentionally burying New York City? Was this meant to make New York City (laughs) look like the worst place on earth?
0: (laughs) I don't know what what New York City was like back in the day. That's true. I know that it's really awesome here, but uh, now, in present day but it used to be a dangerous place there's no way that they were making all that up from all those movies that I've seen uh, where they painted as dangerous no
1: like I was telling you the only film I've ever seen that intentionally buried New York City was Friday the 13th part 8 the writer of that film just had a really bad day there one time (laughs) like Homer Simpson never wanted to go back Uh, it stands at 98% on Rotten Tomato which is that like the highest we've done so far Uh,
0: it might be I don't remember what uh, It's a Wonderful Life was at but I think it might be like 96 or so
1: yeah, it's kind of hard to argue. It's... I mean, it's like, why would you change? It, yeah. Really,
0: nothing. It, it's just perfection. And like I was telling you, I think before we started or while we were starting it, that for a while De Niro was having this stretch of just home runs mm-hmm. where everything he did was just golden. I think I remember being extremely disappointed because you asked me, when did he start like really fucking up? And I don't know, he might have had some Was bad... it the first Meet the Parents? No, I don't know. I think I remember very clearly hearing that he was offered the role of that when eventually dale dale lewis played in gangs of new york Mm -hmm. and he turned it down because he didn't want to shoot abroad and instead he probably did like a comedy or something Mm -hmm. but i remember that pissing me off because even though gangs of new york is not like perfect or anything that character the, the character bill the butcher that is an awesome character and I guess he was at the stage of his career where he was like, I don't care. I mean, yeah. I've done so much. I want to take it easy. And that's entirely his right. But as a fan of De Niro and a fan of, of watching him be awesome, I remember, I mean, that when I first moved here, there's a string of, like, just shitty movies that he did, like the Showtime with Eddie Murphy, oh.
1: Godsend with Greg Neer. It might have been Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That might have been when the wheels started coming off the track. I I haven't seen it again. I've seen it only once. He's fine. Don't bring that fire in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like I, I'm hard pressed to think of also Scorsese as a director, but De Niro was his boy there for a while. Of like collaborators, like two guys that just pumped out just solid fucking gold over and over again. Yes,
0: I still think I can't think of the last time. Scorsese it truly disappointed me with the movie. I mean, even... I wasn't a big fan of... Oh, what is it? Terror Island. It's not Terror Island.
1: <laughs> the oh, Shutter it, Island. Shutter Island.
0: Shutter Island. I,
1: Terror Island would have been it, awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a ride. <laughs> uh, I wasn't a big fan, but even then, that doesn't... The worst Scorsese movie does not compare to how badly I've been disappointed by some movies like dude the worst Scorsese's
1: movie is like saying the worst pizza like it's just like you're still gonna enjoy yeah, it like, yeah like I didn't really care for Wolf of Wall Street but when it was over I, was, I didn't regret a single second right. of like,
0: well okay so you did something that I wasn't crazy about yeah. but, but still whereas like with De Niro there are, there are movies that are just why would you do this you or Robert De Niro you don't need to be slumming it yeah. in the sequel to Meet the Parents I like the original Meet the Parents for the record but mm. the sequels are just shit
1: um, the best thing Robert De Niro's done in recent memory was he sang, uh, he sang Christmas Carols with Kermit the Frog on SNL one time.
0: What? Yeah. <laughs> is that a lie Because I need to watch that.
1: Going back to where this movie succeeds, and like I feel like I can readily compare it to Natural Born Killers, which we recently watched, in that you can make, almost if you were close minded enough, make an argument that they both promote violence and like glorify the killers and everything. And whereas I do think Natural Born Killers does that to a certain extent, this one is like the dude is clearly screwed up and what he's doing is not good. And he's so powerful in his role that it almost scares you. You're like, I don't want anything to do with that guy. Right, there. right,
0: but it's a good comparison because while the tone is a little different, it it's still the little argument, the, just a little <laughs> bit. The argument is still the same. I, I, I'm i pretty sure I brought it up when we were talking about Natural Born Killers where the movie is structured to make you root for them,
1: mm-hmm. to make
0: you root for Travis and to make you root for Mickey Mallory. They Yes, they're disturbed the people and uh, they're... In the case of Mickey Mallory, they're despicable people, but they're surrounded by characters that are even worse. So you just have to cheer for them. Now, some people just can't see past that initial fact. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it's even worse in the case of Taxi Driver because it's not so over the top. So, so you, you know, Scorsese can't go back and say, "Well, I was just fucking around. We we're not supposed to take this seriously." The movie is pretty realistic through most, you know, most of the runtime. So, mm-hmm. so it feels. I think it hits harder when he finally starts shooting people and. I I wouldn't blame anybody for getting excited at that moment. As long as they're properly horrified afterwards.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and in this movie too, the violence is extreme, but it's momentary. It's not like the movie's based around gratuitous violence. I think it's a complex depiction of a character, but it's not...
0: I don't think it's confusing. Yeah. So the the people are like, I don't know what they mean, I'm a little confused by it... Do some soul searching. <laughs> Don't buy a gun. <laughs> Come to terms with your demons first, and then, and then maybe think about uh, watching the movie again.
1: Jodie Foster, she said this was the first time she was in a movie. Like she was, like obviously, kind of terrified of some of the stuff she did. She thought that like acting was just a thing that her parents got into and it would be like a fun side hobby. And she said this movie helped her learn that acting is like a full piece of art, and not a, all the time is going to be stuff you want to do. I thought she's very good in it. Like, up until the end there, I remember even turning to me and being like, why the fuck was she nominated for an Oscar for this? But then she really pulls it around there. Like... Yeah,
0: I, I couldn't remember what her. That's another thing I remember for the first time I watched it, which was thinking that Keitel and, and Jerry Foster were not in it enough to warrant like, all the talk that there is about them and their characters. Again, reading those articles, there was a lot of talk about Harvey Keitel and how he, he had improvised a lot with De Niro because, you know, they knew each other from back. When and how Jodie Foster was, you know, young and all the stuff, and I remember watching the movie and having this feeling of, oh, well, we talked about this so much, and uh, there's not <laughs> much. but the more you watch it, the more you appreciate it, and yeah, he has, both of them have just a handful of scenes, but they make it work. They 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 certainly they make command it it. the screen. Yeah, she's honest. she's really good, and it's even more impressive when you factor in how young he she is. Yeah, so that that's awesome that 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 you know she can pull off that performance.
1: Where does this rank on the difficulty scale of trying to be snarky about something? I, I had a really hard time.
0: I didn't have that much of a hard time because I, I've been thinking about it for a week at least. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I didn't want to do just the easy thing, which was complain about the violence. Because because that is actually something that people say a lot. Yeah. So, so I was like, I need to come up with something else. And then I started thinking about the taxi driving thing and the New York thing. It was... Yeah. To be fair, I, I thought about it for a while more than we usually thought about this.
1: We're done. Anything else to add here when we're winding down? Not really.
0: I think that uh, it'd be a blast to just keep doing Scorsese movies. <laughs> <But> <laughs> there's there's a lot of like cool stuff. I really just want to rewatch like a bunch of old Scorsese stuff. I don't know what Mean Streets has at, but that's a lot of fun to watch.
1: I've never seen Mean Streets.
0: That's. I mean, we'll get around to it. I'm sure eventually, if it has like a high enough score
1: like The Departed I literally probably could not find anything wrong with that movie that would be impossible to do
0: I would just I would just attack it and like it's too confusing
1: <laughs> not enough Anthony Anderson yes that <laughs> and it's just like who's on what side who what why alright so for episode 13 lucky number 13 Julio have you been keeping up with the video game world recently I don't know
0: um, I have an Xbox
1: 360
0: okay. that, that's the newest console I have
1: So, all the rage has been about Silent Hills, which uh, was going to be from the creator of the Metal Gear Solid franchise, Konami was going to be producing it, Hideo Kojima was going to be directing it, and also Creative Input was going to be from Guillermo del Toro, with the main character in the game played by, I told you his name, I already forgot it.
0: Oh, the guy from Walking Dead. uh, Norman Reedus? Norman Reedus.
1: Okay. So, yeah, they released this big uh, teaser for it in which... You're just in this room over and over again, and it's fucking terrifying. I played it. Uh, if you played it, the door in the room unlocked, and you walked out, and you discovered the main character is Norman Reedus, and it was a big <laughs> teaser for the game. And so everyone's just up in arms and was all excited about it, but the plug got pulled due to creative differences and Konami's not in good shape, and Hideo Kojima pulled out, and so did Guillermo del Toro. And
0: so, so, so this is what we're doing now. We're just trying to be relevant. We're trying to keep up with the news.
1: <laughs> well, after reading all that, yeah, I was like, well huh, and then I looked over at my DVD collection and I thought, well, I own the Silent Hill movie from 2006, and so hopped on Rotten Tomato, and turns out that it's at a mere 29%, so I figured now is this time of good at any to...
0: I guess I'll watch it, because I've never seen it. I remember it coming out, and I remember getting a, it getting pretty bad reviews.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't seen it probably since it came out. It's one of those films I probably just saw, and I'm not going to call it a film. It's probably one of those movies that I just <laughs> saw on the shelf for three bucks and picked up, so... Episode 13 will be Silent Hill. Other than that, if you have any suggestions or anything, feel free to send them in to us. Anything else we got to plug before we get out of here?
0: Uh, no, just to tie in with what we said at the very beginning if you're a Film Spotting listener that somehow stuck around after being horrified by how different we are from Film Spotting, uh, I think it would be fun to just, if you send us an email and let us know why you stuck around. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that's all I got.
1: It's weird not doing all the stuff at the end. I know.
0: No, that was like, uh, we cool. need a cool. What outro. do we do now? I don't know we have I I still have to get you to do Elizabeth Town so this will be my moment to plug in Elizabeth Town again
1: so maybe for episode 15 we can do Elizabeth Town yes
0: 14 will be something good
1: hopefully alright well that's going to do it for us here on The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we'll catch you next time Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira.
0: contrarians in which alex and i pick a movie with a high rating on rotten tomatoes and proceed to argue against all the praise conversely every other episode we take a movie with a low tomato meter score and do the opposite then at the end of every episode we have a real talk segment where we tell you how we actually feel about the movie in question it doesn't always match our opinions from the first half of the
1: show so so they're just screwing with everybody is what they're <laughs> that's doing that's exactly right a little bit of humor there josh